Good morning, Mission View Church. If you have your Bible apps or your Bibles, go with me to Proverbs 25, Proverbs the 25th chapter. It was about nine years ago, and I had the opportunity to go to Israel. And I was really excited to go and to see the sights from my own, with my own eyes, to see where, where Jesus ministered and where he lived and, and where he ultimately paid the price for my sin and died on the cross and, and rose again on the third day. And it was just an incredible trip. But before I went, I, I watched the news and I'm quite aware of, of all of the all of the suicide bombings and all of the constant wars and struggles of the Middle East. And so all of that was in my mind before I went. And so I wanted to prepare myself for the, for the worst. I've since been to Detroit, and I'd take Israel over Detroit any day. Um, but at that time, I had not yet been to Detroit, so I didn't really know what real fear felt like. And so as I was getting ready to go to Israel, I started making some phone calls. I was single at the time, and I owned a condo a car, and every album Bon Jovi has ever made. And um, it wasn't much, but I was single. And so I called my parents and I said, listen, if I die, I'm going to give you the condo. Take it and sell it and enjoy the 20 bucks that'll bring you after you pay off the mortgage. And, and then I called my sister up and I said, hey, I'm, I'm going to Israel. And she's like, I know. And I'm like, well, in case I die, and before I could say anything, she's like, you don't have any assets. And I'm like, listen, in case I die, I want to leave you something very special. And she's like, well, I appreciate, you know, if you're going to give me your car, but I don't really need your car. I'm like, no, I'm going to give you something even more near and dear to my heart than my car. And that's every Bon Jovi album that's ever been produced. And my sister's like, I don't want that. And I'm like, what is wrong with you? I am preparing for my imminent demise, and you won't take one of my most prized possessions from me unless you think I'm just being ridiculous. I dare you to compare the 83 through 2001 Bon Jovi catalog against anyone, and it stands up on its own. It is absolutely incredible. 18 years of phenomenal music that I was willing to give to her. After 2001, it's still pretty good, but I mean, just absolutely incredible. And so I get over to Israel, and on our second night there, our hotel is placed on lockdown uh, because there, there, were some, there were some tensions that had, that had risen in, in the area. And, and so the problem is the day before, I and some friends had met some Jewish boys who were studying to be rabbis, and they'd invited us to a Purim celebration where, where they celebrate Esther delivering the Jews and, and keeping, keeping the Jewish people alive. And, and they invited us to this, this all-Jewish party with a bunch of rabbis, and there was no way that I wanted to, wanted to miss out on this. And then the next day, the night we're supposed to go to the Purim party, the hotel's put on lockdown, and so we snuck out. We snuck out of the hotel, and we're, we're just walking down the streets of Jerusalem. We don't, know, we don't know what all's going on, so we're trying to be secretive. We're cutting through people's backyards. Floodlights are coming on. Dogs are barking at us. We get to the Purim celebration. We danced with Jewish boys. It was incredible. The rabbis noticed us and kicked us out after, after they noticed we were there. And then on the way back, we're running through, and all of a sudden, we hear something that startles all of us. And we're like, those are shots being fired. And, and all through my mind, I'm thinking, 
I'm going to die, and nobody I know wants to take my Bon Jovi collection. This is tragedy. This is tragic. I'm trying to leave behind something very near and dear to my heart, and my sister has rejected it, and my parents don't want it. And if I die, the state is going to inherit my Bon Jovi collection, and it's going to end up in a library somewhere. Alas, we made it back to the hotel safely, and here I am. And now I have a wife and children, so if I die, they will be the lucky recipients of the entire Bon Jovi collection that I have. This idea of legacy is one that visits people at different parts of their lives. A lot of times when you're younger, you don't really think of the legacy you're going to leave. It's normally something that comes with age. And the older you get, the more your imminent demise, because none of us are getting out of here alive, comes to the forefront of your thoughts and your mind. And, and you begin to, to think through, how, how will I handle my death? And, and if you're smart, and, and you should be, you should, you should put the, your wishes and, and your desires into, into a will. Everybody should, you should have a will, and you should get that ready to go. But you start to think about what's going to outlive me? What's going to outlive me? And if we conduct our lives well and we handle our finances well and we follow God's plan for our money, then, then there, there should be finances that, that we leave after, after we die. And yet, our legacy is so much more than money. Our legacy needs to be so much more than money. This morning as we read Proverbs 25 and we start in verse 1, this is, this is what we see. These also are Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, copied. Now, now, why is this important? These are also Proverbs of Solomon. We know that, that Solomon was King David's son. God gave him incredible wisdom, the wisest man to have ever lived. And these Proverbs of Solomon were, were copied by Hezekiah, the king of Judah. Here's what's, here's what's interesting about this. In Hezekiah's recording of these, Hezekiah's reign was over 200 years after Solomon's had ended. That means for a span of 200 years after Solomon's death, his Proverbs had continued. That is a legacy. That is a legacy. 200 years later. So the first thing I wonder is, what's your legacy? What are you leaving behind? Is it finances? Is it a house? Is it a car? Is it a musical collection? Is it recipes? Is it a business? Is it money? Is it wisdom? Is it the lessons you've taught your friends and your children? 
What's your legacy? What will outlive you? Think about it today. What do you want your legacy to be? How do you want to be remembered? Determine how you want to, how you want to continue after you die. And then put steps into place to achieve that goal. For instance, if you want to leave a legacy of financial stability, spend less money than you make. It's that simple. Spend less money than you make. Allow that extra money to be saved. That's how you can realize that goal. If you want your legacy to be wisdom, then make wise choices. Don't conduct yourself in an unwise way and want to be remembered for your wisdom. Make wise choices. What do you want your legacy to be? Here we are, 200 years later. And Hezekiah, king of Judah, is recording the Proverbs of Solomon. It is the glory of God to conceal things but the glory of kings is to search things out. It is the glory of God to conceal things, but the glory of kings is to search things out. And so here we have this dynamic. We have on the one hand God, and it's to God's glory to conceal things. And this is one of the truths that we're going to see this morning from Proverbs 25, and that is this, that God is sovereign. God is sovereign, and His plan and the way He conducts Himself does not always align with the way that we would want Him to or the way that we conduct ourselves. So God's, God's glory is to conceal things. Now, what, what is meant here? What is meant here? God is not easily understood. God is not easily understood. And dare I suggest that the more you get to know God, the more you will understand just how much you cannot grasp God. The more you get to know God, the more you will understand and grasp how you just cannot grasp Him. It is to God's glory to conceal things. Because God's ways are not ours. And God's thoughts are not ours. The greatness and the glory of God is so far from us in our ability to comprehend an impossibility. 
It's an impossibility. It is the glory of God to conceal things. But the glory of kings is to search them out. I'm an inquisitive person. I'm fascinated by, by mysteries. I'm, I'm fascinated by, by, by just unsolved crimes. I'm fascinated by things that, that seemingly on the surface do not have a, a, an easy answer. I used to love as a child watching unsolved mysteries with my, with my parents. And just a couple years ago, I found out that they have unsolved mysteries on DVD. And so one night, my wife and I sat down with some friends, and we watched unsolved mysteries. And I love nothing more than when Robert Stack would come on and say, update. Because that mystery had been solved. And it was great. I love it. I hate to not know something. I just hate to not know something. And so my wife will ask me a question, and I cannot answer, I do not know. It like kills me inside to say, I don't know. It's, it's just something about it that I don't want to be, I just don't like that limitation. I don't want to admit there's something in this world I do not know. I mean, there's a couple things I'll admit. Like, when does the next season of Keeping Up with the Kardashians debut? I don't know. I don't care to know. That I'm fine with not knowing. If it's a substantive question and my wife asks me and she's like, what's the answer? I cannot look her in the eye and say, I do not know. I feel like I have failed as a man and her husband. And so I'm just not willing to accept that. And so I do what anybody does. And I just go to the smartphone. And this is great because with Google and all the all the information available, all you, you don't have to be smart. You just have to be a quick typer. I mean, really, that's the beauty of this. You don't have to be smart. You just have to have a smartphone. And so now there's all this information that as my wife's asking me questions, I can just look up. And I can just be like, well, here's the obvious answer that you should know because clearly everyone knows as I read it off my phone but change up a couple words so it's not like I'm directly reading it off my phone because I just hate not knowing something. I hate it. I can't handle it. And there's great benefit to, to us in searching things out, to being inquisitive. It's the glory of God to conceal things. It's, it's the glory of kings to find them out. Might I suggest the greatest dynamic at play here is a spiritual dynamic. When we think of God and we think of kings, one of the obvious roles that they have in common is that of justice, is that of judgment. God has established governments, and, and they're not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but God has established governments in the world to create law, to create order. Might I suggest the greatest dynamic at play here in this verse is, the, is that of sin and judgment. And the glory of God to conceal our sin. And the glory of kings is to search it out. Well, the glory of God to be gracious to us the sacrifice of his son Jesus. He died upon a cross for my mistakes and my sin. 
that my sin is now concealed in the blood of his perfect sacrifice, his son, Jesus. The glory of God to conceal my sin so that I could be made right with him. While kings and justice and judgment, it's their glory to come and to search that out. It's God's glory to hide that behind his son. For me and for you. It's the glory of God to conceal things and the glory of kings to search them out. As the heavens for height and the earth for and the earth for depth, so the heart of kings is unsearchable. As the heavens for height and the earth for depth, so the heart of kings is unsearchable. There's some arguments, but space begins roughly 62 miles above the earth. At, at the deepest point that, that we can that we can understand. The ocean depth is, is seven miles below sea level. Sunlight entering the water may travel about 3,280 feet into the ocean, but there's rarely any significant light beyond 656 feet. There's all kinds of debates whether space or the ocean is really the final frontier and, and what lurks in both. And, and here Solomon just uses uses this, as the heavens for height and the earth for depth, so the heart of kings is unsearchable. Our hearts are hidden. No one can know our motives. This is the mystery of the heart. The mystery that each of us has within our own lives. You can look at someone and you can think you know them. You can look at someone and you can talk to them and you can, you can hear them out. But within each of us is a place that we don't talk about. Within each of us is a, is a space that if anyone else knew, we would, we would just be aghast. Within each of us lies secrets. Things we don't want anyone to know. Mistakes that we've made. Thoughts that we've had. Motives. That consume us. On the count of three, I just want you to say it out loud. I'm just kidding. Because we don't want anyone to know. I don't. I know what my heart's capable of. I know the real me. And I know that if I'm not careful, oftentimes when I walk through life, it's all an act. Because I want to impress you. I want to be socially acceptable. Because I don't want everyone to look at me and be like, wow, he really is a, a sociopath. 
maybe I don't, don't do that good of a job hiding it. I don't know. I know it's there. And I know I don't want you to know. I don't want anyone to know. And might I suggest that one of the things about God that's so incredible is he sees that motive. He knows that thought. He's familiar with that desire. And he loves you anyway. And he loves me anyway. The real you. Not the you that puts on a good front. Not the you that, that has it all together. But the you not even your spouse knows about. That's how much God loves you. He sees you and I at our very worst. He says, I still love you. I still love you. The heaven's height as the depths of the earth, the heart of the king's unsearchable, the mystery of our hearts. Take away the dross from the silver, and the smith has material for a vessel. Take away the wicked from the presence of the king, and his throne will be established. In righteousness. Take away the dross from the silver and the smith as material for a vessel. Take away the wicked from the presence of the king, and his throne will be established in righteousness. The company we keep is incredibly important, it's incredibly important. Who are the friends you surround yourself with? Who do you surround yourself with? Who do you spend time with? The friends you surround yourself with will dictate the course of your life. They will dictate the course of your life. And in our quest, in our desire to be accepted, to be loved, sometimes we're just so hungry for affection. Sometimes we're just so hungry for admiration. Sometimes we're just so hungry for acceptance that we don't discern 
with who we allow in our inner circle. And so we surround ourselves with people who tell us things that we want to hear. We surround ourselves with people who, who just affirm us, but do not have our best interest in mind. I promise you, the friends you surround yourself with will help dictate the course of your life. And it's subtle a lot of times at first. But there's a struggle within. And so you, you say things like, well, this is the way they conduct their life. And I know, but I don't fully condone it. Or I'm just going to go there. They're going to partake in some things I'm not necessarily in favor of. But it'll be all right. Or, I know you're uneasy with it, but this is what I'm going to do. And it starts there. But as the friendships grow and develop, we allow them to continue to speak into our lives. Before you know it, that resistance used to be instantaneous. It becomes slower to the place it dissolves. Friends will dictate the course of your life. If you're married and your spouse objects to a friendship, it needs to be over. It needs to be done. I would challenge you not to, not to even look at it as individual friends. But if you're one in marriage, which you are, if, if you become one, then it, then it needs to be a couple friendship. Like, you need to both Fully invest and engage and be on board and comfortable with the friendship. And if one member of the marriage is not comfortable, then the friendship needs to end. No questions asked. Don't put a friendship over your marriage relationship. So if your spouse has a bad feeling, if they get a bad vibe, they don't even need really a good reason. They're just like, nah, I, I, don't, I don't have a good feeling about this. And you didn't marry a crazy person, then fine. Friendship's over. If they look at everybody in your life and they're like, I don't get a good feeling about this person. I don't get a good feeling about this person. I don't get a good feeling about this person. They probably don't have a very good feeling about you either. So you probably need to dig a little bit deeper here. But if they're just looking at one or two people in your life and they're like, no, this, is, this makes me uncomfortable, end it. Friendship over. Be incredibly careful about who your friends are. 
because they will dictate the course of your life. Now, this doesn't mean you can't ever be friends with somebody who has a different value system than you. It doesn't mean you can't ever be friends with somebody who disagrees with you. There needs to be levels. There needs to be levels in our lives. The deepest level of our lives needs to be our personal relationship with God. That's the deepest level. Right beyond that level, just beyond that level, needs to be our relationship with our spouse, if you're married. Just beyond that level needs to be our relationship with our family. Don't make the mistake of putting your kids before your spouse. They're going to grow up they're going to get out of the house one day, hopefully, and you're going to be left with your partner. Right beyond family needs to be a small but core group of people that you love just like their family. And in that group of friends, do need to be people who align with you spiritually. Who have the same value system as you. Surround yourself and have people who speak into your life. People who love Jesus. Who value the same things as you do. And are willing to tell you the truth. Because sometimes those secret motives that we don't want anyone to know, they begin to slip out. And you need to have somebody with you who's looking out for your best interests will call you on it as soon as they see it. If you're going to leave the type of legacy that we should all strive to leave. Take away the wicked from the presence of the king and his throne will be established in righteousness. Do not put yourself forward in the king's presence or stand in the place of the great. For it is better to be told, come up here, than to be put lower in the presence of a noble. Do not put yourself forward in the king's presence or stand in the place of the great. For it is better to be told, come up here, than to be put lower in the presence of a noble. We need to be humble. We need to display humility. And I understand that we live in a time, probably more so than ever, that self-promotion is accepted and a really big deal 
And I would challenge you, reject that notion. Be humble. C.S. Lewis said, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it is thinking of yourself less. Humility is, is not thinking less of yourself, it is thinking of yourself less. So how can we do this? How can we legitimately be humble people in an age of self-promotion? Well, the first is allow others to promote you. Allow others to promote you. If you have to tell everyone constantly how great you are, maybe you're not. Allow others to do your promotion. Allow others. On, on social media, please stop the humble brag. Just stop the humble brag. Now, some of you who are a little bit older are like, oh, what's, what's the humble brag? Let me help you get caught up. A humble brag is it's saying something incredible about yourself, but you cloak it with, with a put-down or self-deprecation. Stop the humble brag. And it doesn't mean that we go around with this attitude of, I'm no good. Everyone's so much better than me. Just never measure up. No, just stop that too. Just being self-aware. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. You want to leave a legacy that goes beyond money? You want to leave a legacy that outlives you by hundreds of years? That you're really remembered by? that really makes a difference? Might I suggest it starts with us accepting the sovereignty of God and His love for us in spite of our motives, in spite of our thoughts, in spite of our secrets. starts with us accepting how great God is and His love for us. And from there, we surround ourselves in our inner circle with people who love us, who challenge us, who motivate us, who hold us accountable. We live our lives in humility. Just like our Savior did. 
This morning, we're going to take communion. Just a minute. And communion is a time where we look back and we reflect upon God's love for us and the ultimate act of love and the ultimate act of sacrifice. That a sovereign God would look down on our hearts and he would see all that we are. And he would love us anyways to the point that he would send his son Jesus who is fully God and fully man. And he would die upon a cross because of my mistakes. Because the cost of my sin, the Bible tells us, is death. The gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord because Jesus came fully God and fully man and he was perfect and he died on a cross and three days later he rose again. And just before he was going to die, he had his inner circle around him. And he bent down. And he washed their feet. And they shared a meal. That's our example. That's our Savior. You want to leave a legacy? Realize the greatness of God. Realize his love for you. Put people in your life to challenge you. And you never, ever, ever think highly of yourself. You follow the lead of Jesus. And that's a legacy worth remembering. God, I pray that we would look to you. That we would leave legacies that start with our understanding of you. That we would go from there, God. We would put people in our lives who would challenge us, speak into us. God, that we would take heed and we would listen. Lord, that we would never lose sight of how great you are, and we would be humble. Pray, God, that you would help that outlive us. Take our lives. Be glorified. God, may we live with purpose. And may we live in a way that outlives us. In your son, Jesus' name we pray.